Welcome to the Best Work Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Henley-Smith. The goal of this show is to uncover the personal stories of successful software engineers, founders, thinkers, and leaders who are all navigating their own working journey. Finding our best work is often this hidden journey, uncovered through an ongoing conversation with ourselves and the world around us. Every one of these episodes is packed full of timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Rhiannon Sheridan, operations lead at Lightning Reach. Lightning Reach work with charities and public sector institutions to provide rapid support to people in financial hardship. Rhiannon's outlook and career motivations were turned on their head during a spell of volunteering in Chios when she assisted migrants attempting to reach Europe. Having previously worked at Capta, this experience led to Rhiannon seeking avenues that would deploy her skill set in ways that would help people in need, ultimately via microfinance in fintech organisations like Lightning and Click. Rhiannon shares her views on the advantages of working remotely and the shifts that have occurred in her perceptions and priorities towards work throughout her career, from how highly she prioritises salary to a subtle change in her definition of what it means to do your best work. How has waiting compensation changed in your own decision making since the very beginning? I mean, initially, you know, you graduate university and you're just looking for a salary and a job title and some experience, aren't you? And you don't really have any sort of understanding about, you know, you can do your internships and all the training programs that you want, but you don't really have any sort of understanding about what a career is and what you want to get out of it. Um, And I think the longer I'm working, the more I've realized that um, the things that I'm good at and the things that um, I have a passion for are probably the things that are going to end up, one, generating a salary as well, because if you're good at it, you're probably going to succeed in your career, um, but also deliver value outside of salary. Um, so, you know, there is always that standard of living that you want to preserve, but I think once you have enough to live a comfortable life, then enjoying what you you know, sign online to do every day um, has a value beyond the salary you take home at the end of the month. When did that realisation come to you? Yeah, I had a bit of a life shift moment. Um, When I was in my mid-twenties, the uh, refugee crisis um, was happening in Europe. And I lived with my sister at the time and she really wanted to go and do something. And she wanted to go and go visit the refugee camps and go and help. Um, And she was, you know, bringing it up and bringing it up. And I was like, right, if I come with you, will you go? (laughs) Um, And she said, yes. So (laughs) I took extended leave from my job and she quit her job. But you regretted saying that, oh my goodness. Greece for three months. (laughs) Um, I'm very much one that will... um, I want to do. I don't just want to just talk about doing things. I don't think that generates any value to anyone. I, once you say you're going to do something, just get on and do it. Um, 
And so, yeah, so we went out to a very small island called Kios for um, a few months at the height of the refugee crisis and very much frontline. Work-wise, like what what situation are you in at this point? Like, like, are you working at Capita at this point? (laughs) Yes, I was, yeah. So fortunately, they have a um, quite a generous leave policy um, and I've been there long enough to have quite a lot of annual leave and also um you can take unpaid leave you can buy leave days so yeah through a combination of my leave and taking unpaid leave um they allowed me to take um quite a long period off um and i basically i think they were like well if you're asking to do this you're either going to quit and go or we're gonna give you the leave and you're gonna go was the conversation i had um and so yeah they very generously gave me the flexibility to go um and I did come back back. and I worked for about another year before I realized that actually the things that I'd learned and seen and done out there would meant I was no longer motivated to be making rich people richer I suppose do you think that you would have actually quit if you hadn't had the chance to try it? So I definitely wouldn't have quit to just go to the refugee camps. <laughs> um, but I think I pro- always would have inevitably reached that point where I wanted something a bit more. Um, and it might have taken me longer. I probably would have wasted plenty more years going down a more corporate um, career path. But I think there was inevitability about it partly from wanting to get away from the big companies, which I had always thought I wanted to work for, um, and getting away from the um, purely profit-driven businesses as well. What was it like when you first went? Um, Unlike anything else that I've ever done in my life, um, there is no comparison in so many different ways. Um, because I didn't go out with a formal charity or anything like that. It was a um, this amazing woman that lives on the island um, when they first started getting boats in the middle of the night had got together a group of people um, to just drive around and try and find these people and give them a cup of tea and a blanket. And from that, it had grown um, to be a volunteer group of people all around Europe just coming to help. Um, I arrived at a time of year where they're quite short on volunteers. So it is really, you're thrown in at the deep end the minute you arrive. Um, within a matter of a few weeks, I was um, taking the position where I had the, the phone um, and I was the person that was on call for running the um, volunteer organization for 24 hours. And that means you get the phone calls in the middle of the night from the police, from the Coast Guard, saying there's an emergency, it's time to go. And we would get in our cars and we would drive to wherever we needed to go and not know what situation you're going to be thrown into. And there were some amazing moments where... For some people, landing in Europe is the best thing that's happened to them for the last decade, for example, if particularly if they're from Afghanistan. Um, and so being part of that moment and being the person that greets them 
into what they think is going to be the start of the rest of their life is amazing. Um, but there's also some very, very difficult, traumatic stories. Um, you know, some people die in the crossings. Um, some people have very traumatic crossings. And you also know that what they think Europe is going to be for them is not what Europe is going to be for them. So extreme highs and extreme lows from a load of different angles. Um, but I really took from it how if you just want to go and fix something, you can. And just being a person and being there and doing your best can make a difference to people's lives. When you were in it, did you feel like the trade-off that you'd made by leaving that corporate life at home was was worth it? It must be so difficult to comprehend in that moment, and there must be moments where you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm sitting around waiting here, or I'm not like achieving the thing that I wanted to. But how did it feel in that moment, having gone from that that corporate life to um, to helping? Was did it feel worth it? There was no time to think. <laughs> there's no thinking or feeling you act or you just like sleep um I think it took like six months or even a year to really understand what had happened um so yeah I mean I can't remember even yeah stopping to think about how it felt or a comparison to things at home or what I would do next though it it wasn't for me intended to be this big life changing. Oh, I'm leaving behind a certain career path to go and do this thing. Um, it was, I mean, initially something I did to support my sister. Um, then next something I did to support the people right in front of me. Um, it was quite a lot later on that I realized how it had shifted my mentality. How did it end? I mean, I had to go home. It was a finite period of time. I'd only booked a certain amount of leave. Was it difficult um, to leave? So, yeah, my flight home was always booked. Yeah. Yeah. I was getting um, messages off refugees in the middle of the night for weeks after I'd gone. So, yeah, that was really hard. What did you do next? Went back to normal life. God, that sounds um, difficult. Yeah, I mean... It's hard to... You can't compare. <laughs> it's just an entirely different, you know, we all live in our own bubbles. And when you go to a bubble so different, you can't really reconcile the two. So you just carry on with day-to-day -day life. Um, and it was only through time being back in my normal life that I realized that wasn't really enough for me anymore. It didn't motivate me. I found myself, you know, where I'd always been working till 7pm, very contently trying to get things done, I found myself looking at the clock at 3pm. 3, 3 um, and it was only when I started doing that that I realised something had changed, I think. And that's despite your effort to compartmentalise it. Did your time there accelerate your the ending of... Yeah. Did it accelerate the ending of, of, of Capita? That's a silly question. It almost sounds like it's yes. fucking obvious that it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think at the time I might have thought it was because there wasn't much career development for me there. There wasn't really any routes for me to progress in an area that interested me. Um, 
so it was kind of like a two trigger um, ending. But yes, it did in hindsight. I, I think it was inevitable the minute I got on the plane that I wasn't going to come back and do the same thing. When you're making the decision about what you want to do next, how how did the experience that you'd been through affect your thought process? Did you, and by that what I mean is, did you decide that what you wanted was to do something good for the world? Or did it just teach you that you didn't want a corporate job? Or like, what did that experience teach you about what type of work you wanted to do next? So I have specific skills that are not what I thought were the skills you needed to be a do-gooder, for want of a better phrase. Um, You know, I was going to work in finance and I'm good at admin and um, all those sort of corporate skills. Um, And that never... So I never even considered um, the charitable or social enterprise space for as something that would fit me. And then it was when I was in Greece that I found I was putting in place processes and systems and um, all of this infrastructure that was generating huge efficiency gains. You know, you have such limited resources and I was watching them being used inefficiently and without consciously doing it, I realized I was improving the operations of this volunteer organization. Um, And so through that, I think I always knew I wasn't going to, you know, go volunteer in an orphanage because that's not where I add value. That's not where my skills are. But what I did realize is that my skills can add value and do good. Um, And so that's the path I went down. And so I got into this research hole of, you know, trying to find financial services, um, style um, roles that have a social value. What did that process practically look like? Because that's pretty niche. (laughs) Google? Was it? Yeah, yeah, initially... um, And actually, it's been a few years for me to find it, to be fair. Initially, you know, you're looking at financial services to help people in poverty. You find microfinance. Um, And so that's the first path I went down. Um, After a few months of doing some work in that area, I realized it wasn't quite what I thought it was. Um, which again left me with a kind of bit of a career gap where I kind of floated around trying to find what that thing was and then kind of financial inclusion and using technology to improve financial inclusion became such a perfect fit for what I was looking for so it probably did take me maybe three years (laughs) to figure out that was that was the thing um but it was a combination of, yeah, the internet and then getting on a plane to Cambodia and doing a volunteer role to help microfinance companies and then floating around Cambodia for another six months trying to find out if there was any company out there doing the kind of thing I wanted to support. And then by chance, a friend put me in touch with someone that works in a company and I came across my first fintech startup. So it was very much a few years of 
just putting myself out there to the idea and seeing what yeah came along. And it must have felt like whilst you were putting yourself out there to that idea like it might never arrive yeah yeah i was a couple of weeks away from booking a flight home when i found um the opportunity crazy and um, are you yeah well i think that's how these things happen isn't it in the 11th hour yeah i think it's always when you're if it's meant to be it will it will find its way to yeah. you why didn't you want to go back and fully volunteer? It sounds like what you've been able to do is find this kind of middle ground in some ways between almost like the best of both worlds, the the kind of the security and the uh, excitement and the, the kind of the modern nature of working in a company, but then also the, the good of uh, what you were doing before. Like how... How come you you didn't go back and and continue it, even though it was for that short period of time? Why didn't I go back and volunteer yeah. for longer? I mean, I couldn't. That is the most draining, full-on thing in the world, that real frontline response. And I don't think anyone can do that longer than the few months. And I think anyone that does is an absolute hero <laughs> um, because emotionally and sheer energy, it's too much. It's too much. It was certainly too much for me. Um, then also financially, mm. um, you know, I am a very career driven person and I always pictured myself having a very successful career and that's how I kind of pegged my life and it's only through age that that's become slightly less important but not completely unimportant. Mm -hmm. It's interesting I wonder whether that's age that's giving you that perspective or whether it's experience that's giving you that perspective. I mean that's a much more appropriate term it's definitely experience (laughs) that has come with more time yeah absolutely. How has how would you have defined your best work when you were leaving university, and how would you define it now? So, what do you mean by that? By find your so, best work? Oh, forget the word find there. So, just like your best work, like mm. it's different for everyone. I use that word, that phrase, as on purpose because it it really is different. And um, and yeah, I'd love to know kind of how you would have defined doing your best work when you left university and then what is it what does it feel like now how would you define it i think how i measure success oh there's an insight best work success <laughs> um i think that probably hasn't changed but i think how i go about doing it has changed um there were a lot of things that i didn't think were my skills that have ended up being my skills and my take on, um, for example, ideas on how companies should be run. I think I always, um, you know, when graduating universities, really subscribe to that corporate structure where your manager tells you what to do and then you go and you achieve the best for your manager. Um, I think I definitely bought into that. Um, and, you know, your co- career is... Um, assessed by your job title and how high you up are on that hierarchy. Um, whereas now I see it much more subjectively. 
um, in that if you how do I see it <laughs> I mean I still have a to-do list that I like to go through at the start of every day and I don't feel like I've done my best work unless I've ticked off everything on my to-do list that I felt I needed to do but I also take pride and responsibility in getting other people's best work out of them as well and making sure that you deliver for your team um, and yeah like making sure that you help develop the kind of culture that you would want to work in and so my work is no longer just about whether I've done the tasks I needed to do to look good <laughs> um, to my manager. Now it's much more about whether, one, I feel like I've delivered the best outcome for the company, whether that's what someone else has told me to do or not. But also that's not just a um, task related to my role. It's really fostering the right sort of culture in the company mm. as well. How do you think that the experience that you've gone through with this kind of immediate career transition will affect the way that you make career choices in the future? I very much base my career choices on just what feels like it fits. Um, I think the first time I meet someone in an initial interview for the jobs that I've enjoyed and felt fated me, I felt a instant connection with the company and the people that I'm interviewing it with. And they ask you a question, it feels so natural and it's an enjoyable conversation. And what I've found is that any interviews I've been that it doesn't have that instant connection, that instant, this feels right, I'm gonna get this job, we're on the same level, it's, it's not worth your time because it's, even if you got that job, it wouldn't be the mm. right fit. Um, and I take that both ways when interviewing for myself mm. and hiring people. I think when when a candidate and a role fit, you can kind of feel it straight away. It just feels mm. natural. And that's always how I will make my career choices, not based on, you know, some tick box criteria, um, but just on whether it feels exciting and natural. Do you find it any harder being remote? I love being remote because it gives me the flexibility <laughs> to be wherever I want to be in the world. Um, you know, I've just moved halfway across the world, but I've got the same job and I've got the same colleagues and I can still do my job just as well. Um, and I'm so fortunate to be able to be living my adventure and also building a career at the same time. I think that's such a privilege, but there are definitely huge challenges that a lot of companies have not risen to. I think fostering a like really close knit culture, good relationships is so much harder remote. And that's where I feel so fortunate at Lightning. Um, because it was a company that was founded remote, all of the, all of everything 
is set up to be remote. And so I have colleagues, well, I've never met any of my colleagues. And yet I feel like we have a very close relationship. I talk to them all the time. I, it's weird to say that I've never met them. Whereas I think a lot of companies that existed in offices and then have gone remote have really struggled to keep that co-working, that, that culture alive and people feel quite isolated, sat at their desks all day. I'm very lucky to not feel that because we've managed to keep that communication really alive. Was it genuinely that instant connection that you had on that first call or were there any questions or... Um, kind of other ways, maybe non-verbal, that you were able to pick up what the culture would be like? Yeah, I think my initial interview was with um, my predecessor. So I was never going to work with him. And through speaking to him, I kind of realised that his role is very similar to the roles I've done in the past and therefore I think the role would be a really good fit. And then I... You know, after my initial interview, did a little bit of Googling of Ren, the founder, and some of the other team members and what the company has done. And everything they said just really resonated. Um, and that was it for me. Um, I wasn't looking for a job in the UK. I wasn't looking for a job in the charitable space. I was looking more, you know, financial inclusion, um, looking at more, you know, mobile applications to open bank accounts, things like that. And it was purely the the message really resonated, the culture really resonated, that I gave up on a lot of other things I was aiming for, for, yeah, that, that culture. Yeah. And it, it was definitely a great decision. How you've um, handled stress? Because there's one of the tricky parts of life is knowing how far to push out of yourself to find growth but how to also follow your heart and still be you um and you've gone and done one of the most traumatic things that you possibly can you've gone and been the furthest outside of your comfort zone that you could be and that must come with some extraordinary benefits in your personal growth but it must also come with some negatives too perhaps I don't think so <laughs> I thrive off stress and change and new challenges and trying new things um, and though they might be you know a little bit difficult at the mm. time I could not live without that I couldn't not I'm constantly going to be as soon as I feel comfortable I'm always going to be pushing for something new trying to find something new uh, but I think that's just a inherent personality trait um that I, there's no way I could fight that I couldn't just sit and do the same thing every day thank you so much for sharing everything with such depth I, I I'm so pleased that your sister actually didn't act that quickly and somehow pulled you into it <laughs> me too <laughs> the best work podcast is produced by the team at cord i'd love your advice on how we can make sure the best work podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work 
email me at bennettcord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content and more at cord.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.